Good morning. Here we go. So we are about to, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be shifting into um, the holiday season. We'll be going through Thanksgiving, and then we'll begin the season of Advent, which is a time in which the church intentionally waits on the arrival of Jesus. We anticipate and long for the arrival of Jesus. And then, of course, we have the Christmas season. So a couple of things that are coming up that, that just to help orient ourselves around that, okay? Uh, starting Thanksgiving weekend, uh, that's two weeks from now, the 27th of November, that weekend we'll go ahead and move to our um, holiday season worship schedule, okay? Which is one service at 10 a.m. So if you're used to coming to this time right here, then don't worry about it. Just keep showing up, all right? And uh, so that's what we'll be what we'll be doing at that point. That will run all the way through uh, the beginning of January. Okay. Uh, number two, we'll also begin at that time a journey through an Advent devotional. Our friend Sarah Paxson has been working really hard at putting together another devotional like we did through Lent um, last year, where voices from throughout the church are going to be speaking to us, our own church family. We're going to be sharing with each other thoughts. Um, and challenges through the season of Advent. And so a daily devotional written by the people right here in this church. So that's going to start uh, November 27th. So um, I'm really excited for that. Next week we'll start handing those out and then they'll be available here uh, throughout the Advent season. And then December 1st, Christmas at the Cradle. All right, this is going to be fun. So Cat's Cradle, uh, we're partnering up with Cat's Cradle to do a great like Christmas music night. Uh, Jason's band, Delta Sun, is going to be the headliner band for the night. Uh, our friends from Look Homeward are going to be there, and our friends from Hard Worker Band are going to be there. So it's going to be a great time, and I uh, invite you to come and celebrate as a church family uh, the Christmas season there. All ticket sales from that event are going to go to Table, which is a local organization that helps feed kids who are um, experiencing food insecurity, okay? They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And that's almost 30% of children within Chapel Hill and Carborough would be listed in that group. That's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. So we're going to come together. We're going to celebrate, but it's also going to be for a cause and give back to our community uh, through that event. So I want you to be there for that, all right? Let's dive in. Jesus. Yes, Michelle. You know what? If you need help getting there, we will make sure you can get there, okay? We'll make sure that if, if you're not able to buy a ticket for that, you're still going to be there, okay? Make sure you come and talk to us about that, and, and we'll take care of that. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate you asking that. Great. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Today, we want to lift you up. That's what we're here for. We're going to ask that you would lift yourself up right now through your word. Preach it to us clearly. Speak to us clearly today. Our hearts are open. We're ready. We're hungry. We need it. Speak to us. We want you to be lifted up. Point us to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, we're in this series called Letters to the Future, where we are studying uh, the letter of 1 John. 
And uh, this letter that's written by this unique voice in the New Testament canon, the Apostle John writes one of the Gospels. He writes one of the epistles. He also writes the book of Revelation. So we have this voice of the Apostle John that spans across all of these different genres of the New Testament books. All right, we've got the narrative account, we've got a letter, and we've got the apocalyptic book of the book of Revelation. The voice of John speaks across all of those spectrums there. And he's also unique because of his relationship with Jesus. He's not only one of the 12 disciples, but he's also a part of Jesus's inner circle. One of the three that were the closest to him. And we know that he's also remembered throughout history as the beloved disciple. This deep intimacy with the person of Jesus. And this voice is speaking to us about the reality of who Jesus is. And so we trust his voice. We're leaning in. We know that he's been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to the church at the birth of Christianity. But also it's speaking throughout history to us today. This letter is a letter to the future. And it's made its way all the way to us. He's speaking directly to the moment that we are in So our hearts are open, our minds are open to hear from him. Here's what you need to know about the way that we do message planning and sermon planning in this church, okay? We don't sit around and say, hey, what are the hot topics that we need to talk about? All right, what are kind of the cutting edge issues that we need to put our voice in on? We don't do that. We really don't. Um, And and I'm not like, you know, bad-mouthing that. I'm just saying that's not our approach. Our approach is that we seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit to direct us to books of the Bible that he wants us to study or portions of Scripture that he wants us to study. And we want to start with Scripture first and go to that truth, the foundational truth, of the inspired word of God, and let it speak to us wherever we are. The thing that we find over and over and over again when we do that is that the Holy Spirit is a much better planner than any of us could be, all right? The Holy Spirit is charting a course and navigating us through that so that over and over again, whatever passage we happen to be in, whatever book that we happen to be studying, and happen is in air quotes, right? Whatever book that we've been directed to, it is speaking directly to the issues of our time. Over and over again, we found that. And he speaks to us much better than anything we could have planned ourselves. That's what we find today in this passage that we're in, in the book of 1 John. We're going to start in chapter 2. Last week we were in chapter 1. And so today we're going to cover briefly part of chapter 2, part of chapter 3, and part of chapter 4 throughout this message today. In chapter 2, we have this portion of the letter Where John is speaking directly to us as Christians. Directly to us as Christians. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you're here with us today, I'm so glad you're here. You are one of the reasons why we do this. And I'm glad you're here and you are welcome in this place. For this next little bit, you're off the hook though. Okay? This part isn't directed at you. If you're a Christian and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, John is speaking directly to you today. And you are definitely on the hook for what he's about to say to us and what he's about to challenge us with. What he's getting ready to share with us 
I believe speaks directly to some of what we've seen happen over the past week. And some of the ways in which we speak to each other. And some of the ways in which we've acted towards each other. I'm not going to lecture anybody, all right? That's not my job. But it is my calling to preach. There's a difference between a lecture and preaching. A lecture is designed to transfer knowledge. But preaching is designed to transform through truth. And we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit does that. And the Holy Spirit strikes us and convicts us in our hearts today. Here's what we need to hear. And we're going to hear this in just a moment from John himself. As believers in Jesus. As believers in Jesus. We are coming from very diverse places, backgrounds, whether that's racially, economically, political perspective. We're coming from all different backgrounds. And here in this room today, we have all different positions represented. But here's what we need to understand. If you are hurt and in pain, over the results of the election that happened this past week, then let me start by challenging you. I challenge you this. Don't accuse and assume that all of your fellow brothers and sisters who voted in a particular way, don't assume the worst of their motives. Take a moment and sit down and have a conversation and try to figure out what the motive was. Instead of assuming a motive and starting from that place. That is not love. That's not love towards each other. And that's not how we behave towards each other as Christians. On the other hand, if you are satisfied and happy with the way the election turned out, then do not, do not. Dismiss out of hand the pain that you're hearing expressed by other brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not dismiss their experience. Do not dismiss their pain. Do not dismiss when they say that they have felt threatened by rhetoric and actions. Don't dismiss that. Have a seat with them. Have a conversation with them. Listen. Listen. Try to understand each other's experience we owe each other that much okay now here's what john has to say to us john chapter 2 we're going to start with verse 5 and go through verse 11 this is how we know we are in jesus whoever claims to live in him must live as jesus did dear friends i'm not writing you a new command but an old one which you have had since the beginning the old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Now that's kind of confusing, isn't it? He's like flip-flopping here. He's kind of on both sides. Is it a new command or is it an old command? The answer is yes. All right. He says, I'm not writing you a new command because this is the command that you've had from the beginning. And Jesus tells us in the Gospels that the entire law of God is summed up in this command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not two separate commands. It's one complete command. You can't have one without the other. This is Christian breathing. Right? We say this a lot here. Which is more important, breathing in or breathing out? Both. Okay? 
both. And if you're not doing both, then pretty soon you won't be doing either one, okay? Same is true with this command. You've got to have them both. So it's an old command, and yet it's a new command. Because in John's gospel, Jesus tells us on his last night with his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. Wait, that's what you've always told us. That's what the command has always been. But then Jesus tells us this, love one another as I have loved you. That gives it a completely different character. That takes it to a completely different level when we think about the ways in which God has loved us, as we're going to look at here in just a minute. His truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But whoever hates their brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. We are called as Christians to love one another in the same sacrificial way that Jesus Christ has loved us. Grab a table with a friend, sit down and have a conversation And do not make assumptions about each other on the surface. Do not dismiss each other's pain. Listen. Listen. It will make your heart and soul expand as you engage each other in a deep, self-giving, and sacrificial relationship and love. Now, it's easy for us to talk about the word love and assume that we know what it means. It's easy for us to talk about the love and for for different people to take this word love and twist it into different meanings, right? It's a word that can get easily co-opted. So then should we just toss it out and find a different word? Perhaps find a different name for our church? No, man. Posters have already been printed. We can't do that, all right? (laughs) No, it's important for us as Christians When you think that a word has been compromised, don't give up on it. Fight for it and reclaim the truth of it. That's what we're going to do, and that's what we're challenged to do here. What is love? How do we define it? Moving in now to 1 John chapter 3, John defines it for us. And he says it's already been defined by Jesus, starting with verse 16. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees their brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Now, when John says, dear children, don't don't think of that in a condescending kind of way. Think of that in a tender and intimate kind of way. Dear children, children of God, we're united in that reality of who we are. Don't just love with words and speech, but love with action and in truth. That's what we're called to do. John says this, how do you know what love is? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment of it. He is the fulfillment of it. It is the heart of who 
he is and everything that he does. It's time for us to look at Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus. He is your hope. Look to Jesus. He is your salvation. Look to Jesus. He is your future. Look to Jesus. He is your past. He is everything. Everything that we are and everything that he's shaping us into, it flows from him. So this is what we do. We look to Jesus and we refuse to take our eyes off of him and put them anywhere else. We look to Jesus. And when we watch the life of Jesus, when we study the life of Jesus through the Gospels, we see clearly what love looks like. This is the love that refused to leave us lost, but stepped into our world. Through the incarnation, he came to find us in order to bring us home. He was born not just into any family, but a poor family raised in the obscurity of Nazareth, born intentionally into the Jewish people. He identified himself intentionally with the most oppressed group of people in the history of the world. Throughout the Old Testament, God says, that the people of Israel are his people. And then in the incarnation, he becomes one of them. He becomes one of them. And intentionally, by the color of his skin, by the sound of his speech, by his accent, by what he ate, by how he worshipped, he was identified with the most oppressed group of people in the history of the world. And that was not a mistake. This is the Jesus who through his love called together a collective of outsiders and outcasts to be his disciples. Fishermen, a tax collector who was hated by everybody, even a zealot, which was somebody who was an extremist in that time, who believed that, it, that they were going to bring the kingdom of God on earth by violent force, by overthrowing the government. Even a zealot was a part of his discipleship circle. And he took these people from completely different backgrounds, from completely different perspectives and opinions, and he forged them into a family because of the root of love. He built it all around that. There's the woman at the well in Samaria where he crosses lines that are racial, religious, and regional, and he extends the love of God to even her despite her belief that she was not worthy of it. There's the woman caught in adultery, that is in this moment on the verge of being stoned. And Jesus stood so close to her in that moment that if they decided to go ahead and throw the first stone, they would have hit him too. There were the untouchable people that Jesus intentionally was drawn to and he reached his hand out to and he touched. And he wasn't afraid of what was going to pass from them to him because he knew that healing was going to pass from him to them. And so he extended his hand. They're the people who tried to make him king, but he stepped right through it because he knew that his plan for salvation would never be legislated from any seat of power. He had a different plan in mind. He ate with sinners, and he let his reputation get trashed because of the people that he was willing to embrace. He told stories that critiqued and confused the spiritually proud and blessed the poor in spirit. He embodied both grace and truth at the same time and refused to sacrifice either one. He challenged us to follow him and to walk with him in intimacy instead of just believing from a distance. He invited us to lay down our lives and to take up our cross so that sin might be put to death. 
and we might experience a new creation of new life through Jesus. He got on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet, even though one of them was going to betray him and another was going to deny him. He received the kiss of one of his friends as a sign of betrayal, a friend who sold the treasure of heaven for 30 pieces of silver. And when Peter draws his sword to fight for Jesus when he's being arrested, Jesus tells him to stop and he goes over and he heals the person that was wounded. He stood under the accusation of the religious elite and leaders. And then he went and stood toe to toe with Pilate and he spoke truth to power, even though his life was on the line. He was beaten. He was abused. He was nailed to the cross. He fights for every breath in order to utter the words of forgiveness to a thief that's being crucified next to him to the people that are watching, even to the people that are putting him to death. And then, because his love cannot be stopped, because his love cannot be stopped, he even overcame the grave. That's what love looks like. That's what it looks like. And it's defined by the person of Jesus. As we continue in this sermon, I'm going to invite my friend Jeffrey Balance to come up. And Jeffrey is going to share as well. God has given him a word to share to our church. And we're going to invite Jeffrey to come and share that. Jeffrey is going to continue what we've just started. He is going to point us to Jesus through this book of 1 John. He's going to be talking to us today from chapter 4 of 1 John. And so I challenge you to open your hearts and your minds and to hear what he has to say. Letter of 1 John is a testimony of somebody who's been transformed by Jesus. And we're about to hear that through Jeffrey as well. Just to give you a little background on who Jeffrey is, uh, he is a friend of mine. And uh, we're really grateful for him. Uh, He is an Army Ranger. He's stationed right now in Savannah, Georgia. And his family, Alta and Layla, are going to be joining him soon there uh, within the next month or so. And so we're going to be saying goodbye for now uh, to that family that we love so much. But before that happened, we really felt like we wanted to hear this word from Jeffrey. We were meeting a few weeks ago, and um, he said that he felt God had put something on his heart. And I asked him, well, what's God been teaching you? Like, like what has he been showing you? And he said, well, he's really been speaking to me lately from this book of 1 John. And I was like, well, isn't that a surprise? <laughs> All right. So I think we can make that work, Jeffrey. Uh, So that's what we're going to hear today. I love this guy, and um, he's a courageous person, and he's a man of love, and he's going to share with us today. And he's probably not nervous at all because just on Tuesday, he jumped out of an airplane as part of his stuff. So take it away, buddy. (laughs) Love you. Thank you, Matt. I'm a little disappointed that I feel a little shafted. I didn't get a cool headphone like uh, like (laughs) Matt's got. I got the, the mic, but that'll work. It'll work. Um, you know, I remember the first time I was speaking, uh, I got a few people in the crowd that are actually there, Johnny and Kara, they were there. Um, it was for a fundraiser for a mission trip that I had, and it was my very first time speaking. I was really excited about it, but I didn't have a whole lot of time to, uh, plan and prepare for it, and I was just new to speaking in public. I got no problem in a group of friends just, uh, carrying a conversation, but it can be a little intimidating. I'm sure all of you that are in school taking public speaking or have had those experiences in your life can agree. But I'm sitting there, and I'm just riding the wave. You know, I'm like, okay, this is, this is how it's going to go down. 
and I start talking, and it was outside. And just as I began to talk, and I was just really feeling it, all of my papers blew away. <laughs> they just blew completely across the yard, and I could see like all my friends just like, ooh, just kind of cringe. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know what, just stay cool. So I just stopped. I went over there, I picked them up, shuffled them down, and just act like it never happened. <laughs> Which I, pre I think they appreciate me doing that because uh, um, it can just be awkward. And I, I know my wife, she's probably feeling that way. Um, how you can just worry about your friends and like, uh, and her being my wife and her, my, me being her husband, it would be amplified a little bit more. And my daughter, who's not here, who's uh, next door, she's probably nervous, but for different reasons. She's afraid I'm going to get up here and I'll start singing to her, and, which is not her favorite thing in the world, but it's mine, so... We'll see about the next service about doing that. Um, but anyways, good times. Uh, so there's faith, hope, but uh, most importantly, love. Um, and I really I want to touch on that. But before I do, I need to put a few things out. First, uh, why I'm here. The only reason I'm here is just to offer you, the church, some encouragement. That's it. First Thessalonians 2.8 tells us that we open ourselves up to you. And that by doing so... We open ourselves up, you begin to see the inner workings of our being and how flawed we are so that when a work begins to happen, a change begins to happen in us, you, see, you can tangibly see God at work in our lives. And that's really powerful. Uh, which brings me to my second point. I'm a simple-minded man. I read this stuff and sometimes I don't get it, I don't understand it, um, and I'm just left dumbfounded. With that being said, anything that you hear that is remotely articulate or uh, convicting is definitely not me, but he who is working in me. Um, something you may not know about me is that I'm a grunt. I'm a knuckle dragger. I'm, I serve in the U.S. Infantry, and if you'll play that slide for me, I'll show you the entrance exam that I had to take to get into the infantry. Uh, to my right, your left, you'll see two points, uh, point one and point two. You need to take a crayon that's provided. Join the two dots below you have until the big hand reaches the six. To complete this task, please do not eat crayon. Okay, don't judge me. I was hungry, and my favorite color is blue. So, I mean, what was I to do? What was I to do? Uh, but anyways, now that's funny, but I should also remind you that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So... For UNC students, I feel sorry for you, because I went to East Carolina, and uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Um, but getting back on track, love. It was mentioned by the Silver Tongue Order, Charles Spurgeon, that when he would talk about love, uh, he would just feel this intense weightiness that would just push him away from the pulpit feeling utterly and ill-equipped to talk about something that is so undescribable, being God's love. Um, something that surpasses all knowledge. And I'm no different. Um, for those of you who don't know, because we're going to talk about uh, Charles for a little bit, for those of you who don't know Charles Spurgeon, or Chuck as I like to call him, uh, just know he is a revered Christian theologian and pastor in Britain during the 18th century. Uh, I think Josh may have gotten a hold of my slides. Uh, where, where is Josh back tonight? Yeah, okay. Um, if you'll put the, the real one up there. Yeah, there he is. Sorry, I couldn't resist that one either. Um, 
But here's a really, really cool story about uh, Spurgeon. It's his, in, his, his conversion story, and I want to share that before we dive into the scripture. Uh, Spurgeon grew up in a Christian home, like I'm sure many of you did, um, but yet he would describe his adolescent years as dis- despair, um, hopeless. Uh, there was this giant void that was just in his life during that time. And even though he prayed and read his Bible like a good boy, he, he still couldn't get away from the void he felt. And so one day, uh, one Sunday morning, he woke up and felt this uh, deep desire for deliverance. And so he headed off to church. But the problem was he was rerouted away from his home church because there was a snowstorm that had swept in. And so he was uh, forced to go what he would call a primitive Methodist church. So if you could, think of like a backwoods little country chapel out in the middle of nowhere that no one's ever even heard of. You've seen them all throughout North Carolina. They're just there. You pass by it on those country roads, and that's it. Well, that's where he found himself. But not only that, but when he went in there, the church pastor wasn't even there because he had been snowed in. So with that being said, the, uh, everyone's just kind of sitting around, and the elder's like, well, I guess Patterson can't get here. So he just stood up, and he came up, and all he did was begin to read from Isaiah. And uh, Charles Spurgeon said uh, he didn't have much to say, but he didn't need to because he was already, God is already speaking to me. And i got to read this. An, an excerpt from uh, his autobiography reads, Then I had this vision, not a vision to my eyes, but to my heart. I saw what a Savior Christ was, and as the snow fell on my road home from the little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked to me and told me of the pardon I had found, for I was white as a driven snow through the grace of God. It's just so, so powerful. This Sunday, I don't have much to say, but I don't need to because God's brought you here, and that's that's intentional. And so I just pray that uh, you would open yourself up to what he has for you this morning. And if we'll put the scripture on the uh, screen, we're going to read from 1 John 4, 7 through 12. And it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and our love is perfected in us. There's so much that we could pull from these verses, so many different avenues we could go down. But what I feel led to talk about is in verse 8, God is love. To place this verse in context, um, we need not only to look no further than the mirror that sits above our sink. Paul says in Romans seven eighteen, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Here you see an internal struggle. Scholars will say, uh, that they'll, they'll debate whether this internal struggle with sin was before his conversion or after his conversion, but I, I don't know. But what I, can t- what I can tell you is that I have definitely struggled with fighting my flesh, knowing what is right, 
and continuing to do the wrong thing. And I know that. So I want you to stop for a moment, and I want you to think and reflect in your own mind the times that you've stumbled, knowing the entire time you're doing what was wrong, but had no control to stop what you're doing. Another example, another illustration I can present is just kids. You don't have to teach them to do the wrong thing. <laughs> they do it. <laughs> I, I think about uh, young Henry, uh, Josh's son. He's a great little boy, and he comes over and he plays with Layla, and it's awesome. But you don't have to tell him to stop, to go and push Layla over. He just does that naturally. <laughs> it's, it's great. But it just proves my point. You, you don't have to teach them to do this. There, there's a common denominator, and I hope you see that it's innate. It's in our nature to do that. And think about how flawed we are in our ability to love. Sometimes we love in deceitful ways, and it's so subtle you would never even know it was happening. Love is not self-seeking, it's sacrificial. But how many times do we love people with an underlying motive that we would receive love in return? which is not love at all. Truly loving someone is always going to come at a cost. It will cost you comfort and give you uncertainty. It will cost you security and give you exposure. The most pure love the world has ever known gave us freedom, but it cost Jesus his life. The point and conclusion I'm trying to draw out from our sin nature and our limited ability to love is found in verse 8, God is love. The verse, this is so profound because it regards uh, love not merely as an attribute of God, but, but in the deepest sense, as God's own nature. So the same way that we naturally sin, the same way that kids run around and naturally go about doing the wrong thing, is the same way God naturally does what is right, what is good, and he loves us. Naturally, it comes naturally to him. And so I'm left with a question. How do we define love? And again, thinking about how Charles Spurgeon felt when coming across this question, I, I don't know, but I think of one illustration in the Bible that is just insane love. Uh, the story of Hosea is, uh, it'll be a, really brief Cliff Notes type version because there's that it wouldn't do it justice just to skim over some scripture verses in Hosea because you just need to go read it for yourself. But it's about a man who falls in love with a prostitute. She's beautiful. He brings her into his family. They uh, start a family together, and she is faithful to him for a time until she starts to backslide into her old ways. And then this... It's not just with one man, probably, but many. And they don't treat her well. And Hosea finds out about it. He's hurt. He's so wounded from this. And he finds out about how badly some of these men are treating her. So he goes to the men, and he gives them money to take care of her, to give her food. Ultimately, um, it says in the Bible that... Uh, her, her beauty had faded, that she had uh, just looked worn and used, and uh, I think there, there was a certain price 
that was demanded for, at that time, um, beautiful women, and, and hers was at the very lowest level. And wrestling around with this in Hosea's world still hurt. God says, you will go back and make her your wife. And so he did. And the same amount of money that he paid for his wife was the same amount of money that Jesus was sold for by Jude. That's, no one does that. No one would do that willingly. Hosea didn't even do it willingly. God had to tell him to do it. But you know who did that willingly? Is someone that left the throne in heavenly places and traded it for some nails and wood. He did that willingly. And that person named Jesus would die for you willingly. I want you to hold that thought for a moment. It says all throughout this passage that we just read that to love one another. When we love one another, we get to experience God. Verse 12, if we love one another, God abides in us. Abide meaning to be present, to dwell. I think I'm missing a sheet, but that's all right. Um, perfection, it means to be fulfilled, to make complete. Now, that doesn't mean that when we begin to love each other that our love is perfect. It just means that we begin to love each other better. And, But before you can begin to do that, you have to stop. And you have to recognize that none of that is going to matter or make sense to you until you recognize the love that God has for you. He knows the hairs on your head. He knew your name before you were created. He rejoices over you. Beloved, he knows your name. Let's thank Jeffrey for that word today. Amen. Amen. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. What is love? God is love. As Jeffrey said, it is his very nature. It is at the core of who he is, and it drives everything that he does. And we are transformed by it. We are transformed by it. We don't love out of our own strength or our own goodness. We love because he first loved us. He first loved us. And now he's continuing to love others through us. Jesus, thank you for the power of this truth. And thank you that you have called us your people. And you have built a family around that core truth of who you are. And I pray that the world around us would be able to see who you are because of the way that we love each other, because of the way that we love people around us, because of the way that we love you, because of the way that we carry ourselves as people who are loved. 
That is the deepest truth about us. We thank you for that. We thank you for that. How do we know what love is? You've shown us. And it's you. It's you. Thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.